Today's episode of GM Street is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Here's a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. That's how Hotel Tonight scores such incredible deals. They team up with awesome hotels to help them sell these rooms and pass those savings along to you. Not like last resort places. They work with cool top rated hotels where you actually want to stay. And even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can actually book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. So if you want to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, download the Hotel Tonight app now. We've rebranded our Ringer University podcast feed to Through the Ringer. Yes, that is a pun. This is your go-to place for our weekly wrap-ups of Ringer podcast titled This Week in Ringer Culture and This Week in Ringer Sports, hosted by Liz Kelly. It's also where you can hear some of our special projects, one-off stories, and new shows we're working on behind the scenes. So if you want to hear all of our best culture and sports podcast moments and some of our special projects, subscribe to Through the Ringer on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get said podcasts. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, I guess Tuesday morning, we should say, and I'm joined yeah. by Mike Lombardi. We are here. Uh, championship weekend has finally washed over all of us. We can now uh, regather our thoughts. We recorded late Sunday night and responded as soon as the games, not even when the, the second game was over because it was yeah. decided at halftime, but, yeah. but we're back to uh, to figure out what's going on around the NFL. And we, and we watched the tape, but, you know, watching the tape of the game, Tate Frazier, uh, watching both tapes of the game, obviously the Eagles dominated uh, in in every aspect of that game. So, mm-hmm. which, but the watching the Patriot Jacksonville game was fascinating because Jacksonville had so many opportunities. You know, when you go home, when Minnesota flies home after that game, you know who cares, right? You lose like that, you like they were the better team, right? Mm-hmm. They kicked our ass. We didn't really have a chance. We turned the ball over. We made all these mistakes. Whereas if you're if you're Jacksonville and you're flying home and you look at that. You know, the Miles Jack play, when you really slow that down, the, the quick whistle, the third and 18, you know, Brady opens up. I heard Tony Romo talk about this on the pod with Bill. I mean, really the guy that was at fault with that was Telvin Smith because, you know, they're taught in their Jacksonville coverages to read the quarterback's shoulders. And Brady opened up way to the left, which Telvin Smith should have easily dropped to the middle of the field, which would have put him right where Amendola was. But he didn't. He took the bait on the flat route over there. Don't ask me why players do that, right? Third and 18, somebody takes the bait on a flat route because that's the way they're trained. They can't help themselves. And this is Telvin Smith, one of the best linebackers in football. And so when he realizes he was late, when you go back and watch the tape and you see his reaction when he gets off the pile, he's pissed off at himself because Mm -hmm. he knows he should have been closer to the middle of the field and maybe even broken that pass up. So you look at that play, you, you look at the pass interference calls, and you go back over the tape and you say, wow. You know, you you were right there. You had a chance. Blake had a chance. He threw some really bad balls in the second half. Mm -hmm. I mean, some really bad balls. But none, the worst play, not the worst play, but I think the two plays that we didn't talk about on Sunday was the Trey Flowers play that Jacksonville gets the ball. They're driving down the field. The score's 17 to 
10 at this time. They're driving down the field, and it's third and two, and Jacksonville calls naturally sprint right option, which I still think I don't understand how Bill Walsh doesn't get a residual. Well, it's the, it's the safest play in football. Right. But, I mean, if, if the Eagles still make money on Hotel California every mm-hmm. time it's played, mm-hmm. shouldn't Bill Walsh We need make, some syndication. Yeah. Like, Let's like, figure out the fees for that. Bill should charge a fee for sprint every time it's called. Mm-hmm. That being said, okay. And Flowers bats the ball down, almost intercepts it, and they have to kick the long field goal. Incredible play because if they get that first down, which Marcus Lee was wide open, and he was going to get the first down, they're going to they could go down, they could get it to twenty four, you know, they could they could have scored a touchdown. Who knows at that point? And then I think the three plays after the Miles Jack, we talked about this on the air, the three plays after the Miles Jack turnover. I think if Jacksonville had their way, they would go back to him. And, you know, Bortles just couldn't really – when he had to make a throw, he couldn't make a throw. And that was the drive, too, when you expect the Patriots to turn this game around. And they had this big play. They call this trick play with Amendola throwing the ball back across to Deion Lewis. He has all the blockers in front of him, all the space. One of the worst – and I'm a Deion Lewis fan, but when you watch it on the tape, it's more alarming watching it on the tape than when you really – like, if he would have taken exit stage – if he would have gone to the bench, he might have scored. Mm-hmm. He went back into the coverage. Like, we talked about on that. It's even worse because it's like, what was he thinking about? Well, it seemed like he was trying to just – he almost got you know, happy because he, he saw all the space yeah, I, in front of him and he just took off and got ahead of his blockers. And then when Miles Jack makes the play, you saw the frustration on the sideline from him. And a lot of people, you know, they, they were saying, you know, why is he so upset, blah, blah, blah. I think he knew at the time, if I strip that ball, take it back, we're, we're, we're looking at game over at this point. Right. And you put the hand back in your offense, you take a quick three and out, and you give the ball right back to Brady, and you know the rest is history. Yeah. Um, I think the thing with the Jacksonville, just seeing all the, the postgame stuff, the thing that you have to like to see if you're a fan of the Jaguars, or just a fan of football in general, they're not making excuses. Boye, he came out and he said, you know, I need to look at the rule of pass interference, but I take it. It was pass interference. It was on it me. Was. I, I can't let that happen anymore. Jalen Ramsey said there are no moral victories for this team. Telvin Smith basically, you know, said the exact echoed that statement and said similar things. I mean, I was impressed with the way the Jaguars they are such a young team and they obviously have this bravado and they're, they're very brash. They say how they feel. They promise Super Bowls. But I think that the way that they responded as a team after that loss is pretty impressive. As from one millennial to another, I think you can appreciate that, right? Yeah. I, and I kind of did too. I I think the challenge is, is if you're Jacksonville, is is this notion, and I've been there before, is when you've gotten that far up the mountain, mm-hmm. right? You have to realize that you have to go back down to the bottom of the mountain and climb it again. Like there's no easy way to get back up. There is no more. He's right. Jalen Ramsey is right. There's no moral victories. I mean, whatever happens on Super Bowl Sunday, ten days from now. When the Patriots start their offseason program, there will not be one trophy walking through the lobby. Okay, there won't Especially be. Especially not that AFC Championship trophy. There will, that no. away. <laughs> I don't even know where they are. They're probably at the crafts office somewhere. There's no way that they're those probably still using exist. them as, as like a book, like a book. Uh, they probably burn them and repurpose the metal for the benches or something. Yeah. So you you so for Jacksonville, it's great that they did this, but they like knowing Coughlin, they will burn everything that they did last year and start anew. And that starting anew starts with what do they do with Bortles, right? And I've been fairly clear about where they go with Blake Bortles, but I think this is going to be the fascinating conversation because Bortles was operating on a rookie contract, Mm -hmm. okay, that they extended out and guaranteed for $19 just on injury only. Now, if they do this, if they guarantee that $19 and get one year out of them, that locker room, and they're not shy about talking either, their locker room is going to say, wait a minute, He's not our best player. Mm-hmm. We we're managing this guy the whole time. 
this is going to that could really affect the chemistry of the locker room and the culture within the locker room because for all their high-priced players, Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell, Boye, all those guys, Ramsey's a high because he's a draft pick. All those guys have played to a high level, even though they're highly paid, and they nobody could question whether they're worth the money. You can with Blake. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the that's the one issue that Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone, I know Caldwell's going to say let's just because he's all in on on Blake, but that's the one thing they're going to have to decide on how they handle that, and that decision is going to determine whether they can get back on top of the mountain again. And so Bortles comes out and he says, "I would be thrilled to remain with the Jaguars." That was his statement on the situation. The problem that they have to deal with now is you have the status quo situation where he is our quote unquote franchise quarterback, so therefore he needs to get paid like a franchise quarterback. But the problem there, like you said, the defense is really the, the franchise. franchise, right? And if you don't pay that defense out and get those guys back in good spirits and feel like they've been yeah. compensated for what they did, then you're going to have a problem all around with yeah, that you're gonna room. have a real problem you're gonna have an issue because look one thing winning does people players want to get paid when they win right mm-hmm. they want to get paid i mean it's the it's the pat riley disease of me they everybody thinks they're the reason why you win and it goes down to the equipment guy it goes down to the trainers everybody thinks that you know you win one you know i used to tell the story all the time when i was with the cleveland browns and art modell was the owner you know if a guy lines up for a game-winning field goal to, 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 to win the championship modell would say if this guy makes the field goal everybody's gonna get five years extensions if he <laughs> if he this is it. everybody's fired, you know. It's like that's 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 yes. the balance. You know, everybody wants to get these new deals, and so for Jacksonville, how they handle it and how they approach it really is going to be critical. Knowing Coughlin, he's going to go back and do his due diligence, and then they're going to have to have the conversation with Blake Bortles. Look, Blake, we would like you back. Like I would even have this conversation with Blake. Blake, I, we will take you back. Two things you have to understand. We're not paying you $19 million. Mm-hmm. That's out of the question, right? You're not a franchise quarterback, okay? We'll take you back. We'll pay you $10 million a year. We are going to sign a quarterback to compete with you, okay? If you happen to be the backup at $10 million, we'll live with it. If you're not the backup and you're the starter, you'll have incentives to play. But we're going to – you're welcome to stay here, but we ain't giving you the starting job. We're going to go out and find a guy – and by keeping him on the team, it allows you to say, okay, Kirk Cousins, you want to come here? Does Nick Foles go to Jacksonville? Mm-hmm. Maybe Nick Foles is Jacksonville's new co- I don't know. But I think you have to have that mindset. And I will say, I mean, it is a weird situation where if Blake Bortles on his own, I mean, I'm sure his agent and all of his people will not want him to do that. But if he does the Tom Brady discount where I do want to take less. It ain't for a the- discount, though, for Blake Bortles. Let's get that straight. <laughs> yeah, $10 million I mean, is probably Brady's more. Brady's taking than- a discount. <laughs> 10 is like you're still overpaying Blake. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know? uh, but if Blake does do that and he comes out and it's well known that, you know, to the, at least to his teammates and everything, everyone that he did go out there and put himself on the line and say, I will sacrifice some compensation that most quarterbacks would get in my situation where they don't have to deal with the Flacco thing. Cause I mean, just imagine if Blake Bortles did win, they get up 24 and they do beat the Patriots and they go to the Super Bowl. He was going to get a Flacco contract. Oh, yeah, it was definitely, they couldn't wait. I mean, the, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, and it's hard not to because the pressure from the media is like, we got to, but you have to figure out why you're winning. Right. Mm-hmm. I think you, I think they were in that game because Nathaniel Hackett called a great game. I think they were really smart with their game plan preparation and how they attack the Patriots defense. But when push came to shove and he had to make a really good throw, whether it was the throw over on third and 10 that, it, that they blitzed the corner and he kind of hangs it in the air. So he lets the, the, the lets the guy come over and make the tackle just in time. And they fought Marcus Lee's like one yard short or whatever it was. I mean, you got to look at those plays and say, wait a minute, timeout. 
But the other thing is, and I think this is what people don't understand, what makes the Patriots so successful, which makes the Spurs successful as well, is the integrity that they keep towards their fi- the finances. Like, I've been in too many meetings where, hey, let's sign this player, and Belichick will say, well, I have a hard, I can't pay him more than Julian Edelman. We can't mm-hmm. pay him more. Like what Edelman's done for the team, I'm not going to pay this guy. And I think Jacksonville has to take a little bit of that 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 approach. And especially with that defense, I mean, because as you run through it, they're all big name guys, and they're all signed, right? Yes, they really don't have. I mean, they got to get Miles Jack healthy now. That's going to be mm-hmm. key for them. But they're they're fast, they're signed. Their coordinator seems to be really like he knows what he's doing. They're comfortable with what they're doing. To me, their future is bright if they accept that they have to start back. See, that's Arizona's problem, right? I said this two years ago when Arizona just lost the championship game. Arizona had this mentality that when they opened up the season to get the Patriots, that everything was going to be fine. They got it. They're 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 already at the summit of the mountain. And then they realized, we have Bruce Arians. We got we Bruce. Have Carson, we got Carson. Or, yeah, we Carson's coming off a great year. Mm-hmm. We're already midway at the summit. All we just have to do is keep climbing. No, 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 no. You got to start back at zero. I saw this article about the, the the Spurs. How they do it? They go back to basics in training camp. They literally start with chairs on the basketball court, and how they work on the how they're going to teach defense. Same thing with the Patriots. When you come back in, when they, when they come back in their building for their April offseason, there'll be no idea. Of that they won the Super Bowl, got to the Super Bowl, lost whatever it is. I mean, and the first thing Belichick will tell the team is, "Look, that's behind us. It's we ain't the first talking day about of school. We ain't talking about right. Mm-hmm. It's the first day of school. I hope you have a new lunch. I hope you have a Batman <laughs> yeah. lunch bow because it's a new day. Yeah, and we're in session and we're ready to go. Uh, you just brought up Arizona, so we might as well talk about Let's it. Talk about it. Uh, defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, a guy that had not been heard from much. Steve Wilkes decides to go to the Arizona Cardinals, gets a head coaching job. Um, he is a beloved figure in, in Carolina with the Panthers. Those defensive players loved him. I know Julius Peppers had nothing but glowing things to say about the guy. Uh, he goes to Arizona. They have a defense and a secondary that could be premier. A lot of people thought at one time that, you know, Patterson could could be a guy that, or Peterson, I'm sorry, uh, could be a guy that, you know, was the best corner in the league. You got Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of names there. Um, but I think the interesting thing with Wilkes is who's going to take over on offense and who's going to be that right. quarterback in that situation. And a lot of rumors are saying Daryl Bevel from the Seattle Seahawks could be there. Right. I think that's a, that's kind of a, a situation I was told that they weren't I thought that would be a better situation for Pat Shermer because mm-hmm. he would be able to bring whether it's Nick Foles whether it's Case Keenum whatever transpired maybe he could fill the quarterback slot I heard they weren't that overly impressed with Pat Shermer and that they weren't going to offer him the job and so they went with this Wilkes and I think that now they have Bevel if he hires Bevel which he might today or tomorrow uh, he has to rebuild his offense and that's how they have to do it I'm not against that at all because I think sometimes those arranged offensive marriages don't really allow your team to get the true toughness that you need and I think Wilkes if he copies the Carolina method which is Sean, Mc, Sean McDermott playing that style of defense, which he did in Carolina, you know, that'll certainly help Arizona g- develop more toughness, more character, and then they got to fix the offense. Look, it all is going to start on who they draft a the quarterback. They wanted Mahomes last year. Now they got to get it, whether it's Bevel, whomever, they got to figure out what they're going to do on offense. Absolutely. And just basically, they are starting from ground zero. They uh, are 100% without Yeah, audience. I don't think it's a great job. I really don't. I, I know that Steve Kime, the general manager, they think they have a really good team. I, I don't think they really are. I think their offensive line has been a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's really been poor. Uh, they've had well, you've hard... seen like top draft picks, like a Jonathan Cooper type that went didn't there and just didn't work out. You know, yeah. DJ Humphreys really hasn't been a very dominating player. You know, Valdir they signed from the Raiders. He's kind of like they're they're broken up on the offensive line. They don't have that. They get David Johnson back as a running back. They need a quarterback. 
But their defense has to get to a level to where, I mean, Chandler Jones can be that guy. Remember, the Carolina methodology is about the defensive front. So that's what has to happen in Arizona. They have to have the Chandler Jones kind of players really make the difference. And, uh, and they have some pieces of it. Now that they have all the pieces, I don't know. Yeah, and they uh, a lot of focus on time of possession there with the offense as well. Probably probably get back to David Johnson running the ball a yeah. bit more than they're going to have to fix out. that line. They're going to have to fix both lines there. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what Wilkes is going to have to do. That's what Kimes going to have to do. I don't like. I think it's probably like like okay, you know, McDaniel's is the Indianapolis coach. Coach, coach, you got Patricia's going to Detroit. You know, Shermer went to the Giants. Like, I'm not opposed to hiring a defense coach because I think you get your toughness from the defense. But it's just coming down to who's the right guy to fit you offensively. Vrabel's a defensive coach, and that comes down to the same situation. And then let's talk about that situation. So we go to Tennessee. Mike Vrabel, a, a well-known linebacker, a guy yeah. that was, you know, people saw him on Hard Knocks, probably, as, you know, probably his biggest claim to fame. And I think that helped raise his profile a little bit when he was there with the Houston Texans. I didn't watch that. How was he in that? He was good. I mean, I think. It was a lot of people liked the way that he related with the players. He was around. J.J. Watt always did this weird thing where he would like work out late at night by himself with like the ball machine and Vrabel would make fun. I mean, he made him a likable guy. And we, right. We've seen what Hard Knocks can do for careers. I mean, Mike right. Westoff is a guy that's still getting jobs off his personality, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you didn't know that. But uh, so Vrabel comes in to Tennessee. He's a defensive guy, and they obviously have a defense there in Tennessee. But they also have a quarterback situation with Mariota. He says that he wants to groom Marcus Mariota to be the guy in Tennessee. I know it's tough for a defensive guy to say that but what does that mean for Mariota to hear that well I, I think he knows that the the reason he got the job is a little bit unique in the sense that the Robinson the general manager wanted to have somebody that had kind of some of a patriot influence I think mm-hmm. you know couldn't get McDaniels so he's got to figure out a way to get the quarterback to to drive the engine of the Tennessee Titans he's going to fix the defense and this is going to be a critical hire he tried to hire Ryan Day from Ohio State that was a guy he wanted to have as his offensive coordinator Day decided to stay in college because I think Ryan probably felt like if I want to be a college head coach I'm probably better off staying at Ohio State and frankly the Ohio State OC job is better than being the OC of Tennessee, mm-hmm. all due respect to Mariota. So I, I think that's the case. But what I thought reading the commentary from Vrabels, he had a philosophy offensively, defensively in the kicking game, very Belichickian in what he was trying to do. I think it's going to come down to experience. This is a hard job. He's a young coach. He doesn't have a lot of experience. So it's going to be a challenge in hiring the staff, especially late. When you when you put together a staff now, it's you really – you're at the mercy of who's been fired. Yeah, you're behind the eight ball already. Right. You I mean, can't that's just, why guys like Beveled and Haley, those names come up. People say, well, they're just recite. Well, you're kind of limited by what you could hire, mm-hmm. right? And you can't go too young. You can't go, you know, so it's going to be fascinating to see who he puts in charge of the offense and how they set up the offense. With Henry and the way this team is built, it's built in malarkey style. And I give... I'll give Rabel some time, and and I think it's going to take him some time. Because, look, as a first-year coordinator, I would not say he set the world on fire. I mean, last year, Vance Joseph got the job in Denver after first-year coordinator. I think his defense was in the bottom third. Injuries aside, this Texan defense wasn't great this year either. So it's going to be a challenge to see how he kind of puts it all together and brings it all together. Uh, And then let's talk about another guy, Todd Haley, an offensive coordinator. That's I'm going to pay to see. <laughs> so Todd Haley, a guy that's not known for his West Coast offense, goes up to the Browns and joins Hugh Jackson, and uh, we can have I, a, a marriage made in heaven. Oh, you couldn't like. Could I just say now, if I was Roger Goodell, that just announce at the Super Bowl the Thursday before the Super Bowl that they should make the Browns be in hard knocks. Mm-hmm. I mean, because this is too good. Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley, there might be a fight on the sideline. <laughs> 
Literally, it could happen at any moment. Yes. I mean, I know everything's nice and rosy and everything's perfect, but Hughes from West Coast offense, Todd's from the Parcells, Charlie Weiss, R- actually Ron Earhart offense, North mm-hmm. Dakota offense, okay? They, they've never been kind of meshed together with any seamless transition, right? And Hugh Jackson is very involved on the offensive side of the football, especially with the running backs. Right. So now what's going to have to happen is Hugh's going to have to either make this decision. He's going to have told Haley, look, you run the offense. So then Haley's next question to to Jackson is this, well, what terminology are we using? Are we going to use mine? Or are we going to use yours? Okay. So one of them is going to have to learn new terminology. Like, is it going to be Hugh or is it going to be Haley? How they going to learn the old system and then incorporate his ideas in that? I think it's going to be fat. And then who's going to call the game? Mm-hmm. I mean, what will Hugh do now on Sundays? Probably still yell at Deshaun Kaiser, <laughs> if I had to guess, or, or at least say something to him. Um, yeah, it, it'll be an interesting I situation. I think it's, there. it has. Like I said last year, and I was right. I said last year they should definitely had hard knocks in the Giants wide receiver room because it would have been really too good. Uh, you know, and we didn't do that. I think Hard Knocks should be in Cleveland. It should be about the rebuilding of this team. You got Dorsey, you got a story, you're going to have the first pick in the draft. They're going to pick a quarterback. I mean, this is just what you want. You want two guys coaching the number one draft pick. And especially a draft pick that's begrudgingly going to Cleveland. I don't know if you've seen the Josh Rosen report, which is one of my favorite reports, that he would rather go to a big market like New York than go to Cleveland. Um, of course. I don't, I don't even know if that's a report. And we, he's a millennial? And this is a millennial. <laughs> like, I thought that the world's flat. I mean, Thomas Friedman told me that in a book years ago. The uh-huh. world's flat. Like, I didn't realize there's markets now. Like, everybody, like... Like Cleveland, it's pretty good for LeBron, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's so, a, you know, at least, a, at least Akron is. I don't know about Cleveland. I mean, I don't think it's affected LeBron's earning power, right? I, you know, I don't know. The Josh Rosen thing to me, talent wise, that's one thing. I think there's, there's other issues. I think Josh Rosen's got to get evaluated there. But look, most, most offensive coaches will tell you, whether it's John Gruden, whether it's Josh McDaniels, they will tell you when they're the head coach or they're the offensive court, they want to be the only guy talking to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no confusion here, okay? I want to be the only guy. I want my message to be delivered to the quarterback, which then can be delivered through the team, okay? Belichick meets with Brady every Monday before the opponent, not because he's trying to super uh, go around Josh McDaniel, because he wants to be involved with the offense. He wants Brady's to be able to communicate his message to the team. Okay? Touch base touch base and then also here's my message that we need to drill this home and if you tell it to the quarterback the quarterback tells it and he's the leader he tells it to the offense so it's a smart move for bill he writes up all the defensive players they go over them all i mean literally i mean he works i mean uh, he doesn't clap he works okay so anyway sal that was a shot at you anyway so what i'm saying is like now that you have haley and you have jackson like who does that Who's talking to the quarterback? You got this young quarterback who's going to be so impressionable that you have to mold. It's and, and had one of the roughest starts to his career this rookie season. It was tossed under the bus at least three times. By Hugh. Yes. Okay, so now if, if Hugh's going to be the head coach, fine. And he wants Haley to run the offense, that's fine too. But who's going who's gonna to deliver the message to the quarterback? I think that has to get worked out. Like, yeah, you know, it checks how Haley's offense can work. He knows Pittsburgh. Yeah, okay, they're gonna, are they going to be better on offense? They could. Could they be worse? They also could because maybe – There'll be some miscommunications. Well, they were top. So Haley's offense in in Pittsburgh, top 10 in scoring past four seasons. 
We know that. We get that. But you got to look at the personnel. Right. You got Le'Veon Bell. You got Antonio Brown. You got Martavis Bryant. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And at the end of the day, you got Ben Roethlisberger. You got Mike Munch. You got Vance McDonald. You have Mike Munch. You have Mike Munchak coaching the offensive line. I mean, you were really good there. I mean, and I think Pittsburgh realizes that, you know, it's probably better to have harmony and, and cohesiveness within their offensive staff than it is to have. Like, it's not just one guy why you win. It isn't just the personnel guy or the coach. But for me, I think it's deeper than this. I think this is the false duality of the hire is, yeah, will he make the offense better? Yeah, that's A or B. But C, D, E, and F of this situation is how does it impact the whole team? And how do you create a culture within your building with the quarterback, which is who you want to build the culture with, right? You know, look what look what look what Deshaun Watson did for Houston, right? Bill O coached him. He created a culture down there. It helped. That's what I worry about. Absolutely. And uh you talk about building cultures behind a quarterback. We have a situation in Minnesota where Case Keenum takes this Minnesota Vikings team to the you know NFC Championship game, has these amazing moments in the playoffs, especially with the Diggs touchdown. We all know that. We all understand that. But Case Keenum, for people that do not remember, he was brought in to be a safety net for this, for this right. offense and for Sam Bradford, and he ended up leading this team. But now we have three quarterbacks in Minnesota, Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, all guys that will be done. And now we're in a situation where Minnesota has to decide, do we buy back into the Case Keenum camp? Do we have to pay him? You know, Would you he pay probably- Case Keenum? Personally, I would not pay Case Keenum because Stick with we, that. we've Don't seen apologize it. for the comment. He's going to be 30 years old. He's a, he's a smaller quarterback, but he has done some great things and has some awesome moments in the NFL already. But now we're in a situation where Minnesota has to decide. We have this Mike Zimmer defense. We have a culture. We have continuity. We have everything in place. But now we have to figure out who our quarterback of the future is. And I wanted to throw out a scenario to you. And I think that there are two quarterbacks that are also free agents that are big names. One is Drew Brees. The second is Kirk Cousins. And I know that a lot of people in Minnesota probably will, you know, go and say we need to bring Case back. Look what he did for us. You can't throw this guy away, you know, so quickly. And maybe even Nick Foles goes in that camp. I mean, is Minnesota in the marketplace right now to try to persuade a big name quarterback to come there and try to steer this team to the Super Bowl? All right, Bowl? so let's break it down. Let's let's deal with what we know and what we don't know. We know who Case Keenum is, mm-hmm. okay? And if you really want to be honest with yourself and you take the emotion out of it, and, you know, Case Keenum beat a, a, a bad Packer defense. You know, the Bears weren't very good. Not dismiss it because I like Case Keenum. But there's a ceiling for Case Keenum. For me, Case Keenum is about a 62 player. He's just good enough. You know, you're probably you're going to need a lot of things go your way. If I were in Minnesota, I would watch every single throw and completion that Case Keenum had, and I would grade it predicated on was this a great throw by Keenum or was this Adam Thielen making an incredible catch or was this Stefan Diggs making a play? You know, you know, you have to do this. This is one of the things in the book. I, I, I One of the chapters in my book I talk about, as you know, I get annoyed by people on TV and I tend to mute the TV. So one of it is oftentimes like, you know, and this happens in college more, but when a guy like Brandon Marshall caught 21 or 23 balls, set the record in the NFL for the most catches, like how many of them were scheme driven catches or how many were they at Brandon Marshall actually caught? Mm-hmm. So taking that concept, if you're Rick Spielman, you got to go back and watch every throw that Case Keenum made and evaluate, was it Keenum that made this play? Was it Fritz Scher- Was it Pat Shermer's offense that made this play? Or was it this receiver that, and break it down, okay? And then that's going to come up with your answer. For me, I think the answer is going to lie that some of it was Keenan, some of it was the receivers, some of it was the scheme, not enough of it to pay over $10 million a year for Case Keenum. I'm still going to need better players around him. 
That Okay, so we know that. That's what we know. What we don't know is where Bridgewater's health is. We have no idea about how good his knee is. Can he throw? We know that they didn't feel good enough about Bridgewater to activate him for the playoff games in case they needed him. They felt more comfortable with Bradford. What we know about Bradford is he's got bone on bone with his knee. We know his, he can't stay healthy. He is made of glass. Mm-hmm. He's Whether it's his knee, elbow, shoulder, you know, right eardrum, sore throat, whatever it is, he's going to miss games. We know this, right? Mm-hmm. So now at the end of the day, you're in Minnesota. You have three quarterbacks, but you really don't have one. You don't. Yeah. If you sign Keenum, you're saying we got to have to be really good everywhere else. Okay. Played against the number one defense or number whatever that defense was. Struggled to move the ball against Philadelphia. So you're gonna have to sign somebody else. If you if you sign Bradford, you're gonna pray that he doesn't get hurt. If you sign Bridgewater, and you would be the only ones who know what Bridgewater could do because you watched him practice. I haven't seen Bridgewater in two years. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what he could be. Now, if you go to Breeze and you think that Sean Payton loves Baker Mayfield, which he's made no secret that he loves Baker Mayfield, and I could see Sean Payton loving Baker Mayfield, it would be Sean Payton reincarnated, right? Every, every Like John Gruden's looking for the next John Gruden to quarterback mm-hmm. the Raiders. That, that's, they all do. Sean Payton's looking for the next Sean Payton. He, Drew Breeze and Sean Payton are kind of like – Very similar. And how he played at Eastern Illinois – now, obviously, Breeze is more talented, but they're kind of gritty, tough – Throw it, you know, willing to take risk. I'm not saying this in any negative way towards no, Sean it's Payton. Gunslinger. Yeah. So we know he wanted Mahomes last year. We know he wants a new quarterback. Not that he's disrespectful to 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 Baker, to uh Breeze, but he but he knows he needs to make the change. And and so does Breeze. And so does Breeze. Mm-hmm. For two years, would Breeze be unbelievable, Minnesota? Absolutely. Would you make that deal? Should you give up a first-round pick for him? There lies the question. I I don't know. I think Minnesota has to look at all the things. And then you just watch Nick Foles do what he did. Mm-hmm. Do you go sign him? Do you bring him there? And now here's the next question for you, Tate Frazier. Who's my offensive coordinator in Minnesota? Is it Macadon? Are you going to hire Macadon? Are you re- because Mike Zimmer's represented by Bob Lamont, who then represents Bob Macadon and Ben Macadon? You're going to bring those two together? That that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, that's uh just the whole scenario in Minnesota. You, it, it, there's it, no answer. There there is no answer. There's no, no good answer. An, there, there's no good answer there. And I think it's also, I mean, we didn't even talk about Cousins being in the fold. I mean, every single team in the NFL thinks that Cousins is going to be their quarterback next year. But who's to say he just doesn't re-sign with the Washington Redskins? I well, mean, he, we, we I don't, don't think he'll re-sign with them. I think he'll take them. You know, like we've talked about on this podcast numerous times, the Redskins said they weren't going to pay them sixteen million a year. They're absolutely right. They never paid them sixteen. They're going they to pay them twenty five. They paid them twenty five. So <laughs> I don't think he's going to re-sign there. I think he knows too many teams, whether it's Denver, Jacksonville, that that would t- probably take him. He knows San Francisco's door has been closed. Mm-hmm. We can talk about Garoppolo. Like we know they're going to franchise him. They're not going to lose him. If you're Minnesota, there's a lot of moving pieces here. And you're going to have to be on top of your game. So the only thing you can control if you're in Minnesota is what you know. You know where Keenum is. And you can't let that affect your decision-making. You can't say, let's just sign Keenum. We'll, we'll do the same thing we did last year. No, it won't happen because Chicago will be better. Detroit will be better. Whomever. You know, your schedule's going to change. you got to look at all those things. So I think it becomes a more difficult problem if you're Minnesota. I would, I would explore everything and hold back nothing. Maybe you draft another guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think Minnesota is truly in a tough spot. Is there any world in which a guy like Case Keenum values himself enough and wants the opportunity to maybe take less money to come back to Minnesota and try to compete with someone? Or, or is he already out on the marketplace and knows he is I, I would never franchise Case Keenum, you know, because in the most critical game, his flaw showed up. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can really evaluate a player is in the most critical game. 
I it, mean, it, it, what is Minnesota? They are a team that cannot deal with turnovers. They can't deal with turnovers. They don't want to turn the ball over. They're a defensive team. You know, they need to get better in the offensive line. And maybe that's Bridgewater. Maybe they feel good enough with Bridgewater and they extend Bridgewater out for the bridge for the year. You know, maybe they look in the breeze. Maybe Sean Payton decides, you know what, I need to make a change. You know, what's going on down here in New Orleans? It's a lot of moving pieces. Nick Foles could look at Minnesota and say, wow, that'd be a great situation for me. And it, a lot of it depends on who they hire as the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. because that's going to determine his relationship with people are going to determine where they go. And, and who knows? If Nick Foles miraculously wins a Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, you could be signing a Super Bowl-winning quarterback to your team in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, look, the Raiders made a living signing Super Bowls, MVPs, guys, Larry Brown. I mean, that's what they used to <laughs> Russell Maryland, that's what they used to do all the time. So, no, it wouldn't put, put it past me. I mean, look, I think there's so many – this is what makes this offseason, and we'll cover it on GM Street all offseason, is what makes it so fascinating is the GM intrigue, is the uh, quarterback intrigue. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no answer. And then you add layer in the Baker Mayfields, the Josh Allens, the Sam Darnolds, and the Josh Rosens into this layer, right? And now how it plays. Because you, if you're Minnesota, you got to evaluate all four quarterbacks, plus you got to evaluate the quarterbacks. Yep, you, you can't just independently say, okay, I'm going to evaluate – Sam Darnold, and I'm not going to evaluate the free agents. You got to compare them as if they were all one. Mm-hmm. Like, who gives us the best chance, short term and long term? I think that's a tough challenge if you're Minnesota. And now you don't have a quarterback coach to help you? Really hard. And I mean, they'll get one. If it's McAdoo, good luck. Yeah. And we should say, I mean, Jarek McKinnon, a guy who was basically their offense, he was a Todd Gurley to Minnesota. He was a thing that kept things rolling, got him, got him going early in games. He's going to be a free agent. They have Cook coming back, a guy that tore his ACL. Right. Apparently he's running this week and getting back in health. And then obviously Latavius Murray, a guy they signed from Oakland. Which was a good signing. I mean, look, Rick Spielman did a great job with that team. I take my hat off to him. He did a good job. I think I think the other coach, Tony Sperano, could be a free agent. Their mm-hmm. offensive line coach, they re-signed. I think he did a great job. I mean, there's a lot of things that Minnesota is going to have to deal with as a result of winning and they're going to have to overcome those things, and they're going to have to deal with things that they, they're they really not sure of. And then Spielman's going to have to be really on top of his game this offseason because there's going to be a lot of move. And let me say this. They won't know where they are until August of next year because it's going to take more than just two weeks in the offseason to figure it all out. Uh, I have one crazy scenario Go. that could play out. So if Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl, yeah. he's the Eagles Super Bowl winning quarterback. Yes. Are teams making calls for Carson Wentz? No, because, I mean, look, Carson Wentz was so good, right? And so the Eagles now are in a dilemma. That's why I think they've been pumping up Nate Sufeld so much Mm -hmm. is because they know they probably can't afford to bring Foles back. I mean, it's a Jimmy Garoppolo situation. Do they pay Foles as a starter? And Because, look, we know know Wentz got hurt in December. So for him to be back in September – might be a little iffy, right? So mm-hmm. you got the September games. Who's going to play that at quarterback? If you're Philadelphia, maybe you draft another quarterback. Maybe you go young, or maybe you sign one of these other guys. I mean, look, if you're if you're Philly, and you've dressed up Nick Foles to make him look this good, you probably have a sense to you know we'll make anybody look pretty good. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll even bring Aaron Murray back, and maybe he'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but I think maybe Nick, even Jeff Garcia, we can bring him out of retirement. Hey, hey he says he can still play. <laughs> you know, so I, I would suspect that they can't really enter into the – once what Foles has done in the two playoff games has priced himself out of the Philadelphia market, for mm-hmm. me, I think. Yep, absolutely. Uh, one final thing today. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on. With I thought this... you were talking about the Oscars and the Academy, no? Oh, we, we can talk about it then if yeah. you want to, a little, little run-through. Uh, the Patriots are going to wear white in yes. the Super Bowl, and I should shout out to Darren, the parlay kid from Against All Odds, uh, the podcast. He did point this out. 12-1, and one, the team to wear white in the Super Bowl, and the Patriots are wearing white. I mean, do we buy any no. stock into this? No, none. 
None. I mean, it's like, it's like, look, I told you the before on the podcast, like I used to wear the same clothes to the no games. No belief in look good, play good? No, I mean, I used to wear the same clothes to the game all the time. And Millie would say to me, well, well, if, if it really mattered what you wore, why do you go to work at four o'clock in the morning? Mm-hmm. Like, it does it really matter? It's going to come down to what happens on the, not what uniform you wear. I just think that, you know, I never really, I remember being a kid waking up wondering when I was a Packer fan growing up and I'm like, you know, this is like before, the, you know, this is like in the dark ages. Like I was wondering where the Packers going to wear white or they're going to wear, cause you know, it wasn't ever publicized. It of was course. The, the second Super Bowl, you know, and you're wondering what they're going to wear because the first time you see those uniforms as a kid on color television, like, Oh my God, this is magical. It's like going to Disney for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. So no, I put no stock in that tape Frazier. Think, what was your favorite? Like, what? All right, you're a, you're a, you're a Carolina guy. Did mm-hmm. you like when the Tar Heels were their home or away? Home whites. You like the home whites. You of felt course. comfortable in the home whites. I always was very frustrated in football that the teams would wear their colors at home, and the basketball teams would wear the whites at home. I was always very upset about that because I feel like you should always wear white at home. I do too. Like I hate the 76ers who blew another lead last night against Memphis. <laughs> just for the record, okay. All right, just for the record, I want you to know that. Like. You know, uh, when's the kangaroo kid? Where, where's the next kangaroo kid? Can we get Billy Cunningham? Where, where is he coming from? I have I mean, no I idea. Know. Let's I bring Larry Brown back. Oh, God, I would love that. <laughs> anyway, you still haven't gotten him on this podcast. Anyway, so, like, I don't understand, like, they don't, I like, I like him in white when they're play home. Like, uh-huh. last night they wore the, the crappy red. Like, I hate the red. Like, no, no, please. It just is very clean and it just yeah, looks, it looks nice. Good. And it, it looks like you just did your laundry and you're wearing your right. nice new outfits. I, I'm, out I'm there, with yeah. you. I mean, the pictures look good in white, but, you know, the Eagles look good in their dark colors. You know, I'm sure they'll probably have a, a I think the Eagles should wear the uniform that they beat Vince Lombardi in if I mm-hmm. were the Eagles that's what I would do if I were the Eagles, is that the old school Kelly Green? old school Kelly Green we we beat we the only loss that Vince Lombardi ever had in a playoff game was against the Philadelphia Eagles on Franklin Field and Chuck Benarek held up Jimmy Taylor before he could get the, you know t- could call timeout I'd wear that uniform now that would be the jinx and where and where the, the and where that yeah where come the out and like you yeah. remember when Notre Dame used to wear their green when Lou Holtz was they come mm-hmm. out and everybody oh they wore green that's what I that would be my idea. That's pretty good. I like that. Uh, before- I'm a big fan of uniforms. Like I, like I think uniforms matter, but I don't think color of the uniforms matter. Oh, I've always been that way. I mean, as soon as Oregon, you know, caught in and, and caught steam in like 2009, 2010 with the whole Oregon yeah. movement, we're going to have like 14 different combinations. If I was signing back then, I would have gone to Oregon. Yeah, just see that, for that. And see, you say that, and that's when I realized I was old. <laughs> At that moment, I realized I'm an old ass because, like, I didn't like that. Like, I like traditional uniforms. Like, I don't like to change tradition. I was also in a, in a, in a difficult situation with North Carolina is a very traditional school, especially their football program. Like Bush Davis came in and and let them wear Navy pants for the first time and finally got them Navy uniforms. And it was, if he decided that the Bible didn't exist. I mean, people lost their minds. What's that saying that, you know, God must be a Tar Heel because why would he, the the sky is Carolina blue. Right. I mean, so like, why would you change that? And we face the devils every single day. Like, exactly. Like, why would you change that? Like, I don't get that. Like, I, I don't get that. Like uh, yeah, for me, that's what I knew when when these popular all, all well now it's gotten too oversaturated now and we're, you know we're wearing like pink uniforms even though our school is blue and white you know it, it's just it, it, makes it, sense it's all me. lost in the sauce at this point. Um, quickly, Oscar nominations did come out. You said you wanted to mention that. Yeah, your movie of the year, picture of the year. You have not seen them all. I gotta you, go. You, no, you say no, Darkest Hour. Go. Right? No, that's the one thing we always try to do is see them all. I saw one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. We rented this movie, the the, the Killing uh, of a Sacred D- the Deer or something like killing that. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah, uh, Colin I mean, Farrell. It was unbelievable. Like, who read that script and thought this was a good movie? Like, somebody, like, like this is what I wonder about. Like, sometimes, like, I wonder do the people like I always felt that about Robin Williams. Like, mm-hmm. he, as brilliant as he was. 
he would be in like this really good movie and he would be in this really bad movie. And I wondered, did like, he ever read the scripts? Like, did he ever read it? It comes down to the agent a lot of times, right? I guess so. I, I mean, thought I, you were going to say something bad about Flubber and I was going to get really upset. No, Flubber's I- Flubber's a great movie. I didn't see that one. Oh, you got to see that. I, I, I saw The Darkest Hour and I saw The Post. That's really the only two on that list I, I got to go see. I love The Darkest Hour. I would vote for that no matter what. You got to go see Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Is that good? Yeah. It's my, fa- it? my favorite screenwriter. I'm, I'm, I used to be really big into plays. I used to read like old Shakespeare plays and really? modern plays all the time when I was I was a loser I was a nerd you, you know should this. read Neil Simon's book called rewrites uh-huh. it's one of the best books you'll ever read it's really it, it, it taught me a lot about a writing and it also taught me a lot about people mm-hmm. and in, in that book Neil Simon talks about why he struggled so much to make uh, to make his plays successful he was really having a hard time writing plays and it wasn't until he figured out that he made the characters interesting enough in Act 1 that you'd want to see him in Act 3. And if you pick your friends like that, if you have friends that are interesting enough in Act 1, you can't wait to be with them in Act 3, that's a pretty good mantra to follow. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's why he was so good with his plays. So in that book, he talks a lot about that. You would like that. I have that. I'll give it to you. I need to read that. Uh, Martin McDonough, McDonough that directed and wrote this movie. He was a guy that saved the Globe Theater over in England. Uh, great playwright. The Hangman's a great play. If you if you ever have time to read that, you should definitely read that. I like this. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite guys. And, I like uh, learning stuff about you, Tate Frazier. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie uh, that people should go see. I know a lot of people, uh, some people are, it, it's getting like, it's the favorite now, so people are Which, talking bad the, about it. This um, movie? Yeah, Three Billboards Outside outside Ebbing, Missouri, but it was shot in Silva, North Carolina. Oh, Great really? little small town outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Wow. So, wow. All right, Tate Right Frazier. where Western Carolina is also. Um, anything else NFL related we need to hit? We're going to be back, not on Friday, but we will be back. No, we will be back on Friday. We will be back on we'll Friday. We'll be back on Friday. We'll, we could talk more about the Oscars and we can move. Yeah, we're going to talk. I don't know what we're going to talk about on Friday. Maybe we'll talk about the Senior Bowl. I think that's probably a good recap of the week. This is the week of the Senior Bowl. We could start a little draft preparation. I'm on just Friday. glad you said we weren't, we weren't going to talk about the Pro Bowl because I can't do that. No, we're not going to talk about the Pro Bowl. All right. Well, this has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Right now, Bill Belichick is calling Mike Lombardi. <laughs> uh, we will be back on Friday. See you then. Thanks, Tate. 